This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. We're just glad to have you with us. We are in the second week, so it's very much the beginning, the second week of a new series that we're calling Everyday Gospel. Everyday Gospel. And uh, the idea is how does our Christian faith, how does the gospel impact our daily lives? And so today we're going to be looking at Psalm 127. You can go ahead and turn there, if you would, Psalm 127. And if you uh, don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. You can pull that out, and we're going to be on page 298, Everyday Gospel, Closing the Gap Between Sunday Faith and daily life. And so last week, I just had an overview message on the theme of the gospel and ordinary life that God cares about, as we sang this morning, all of our moments, all of our lives, not just the so-called religious parts of our lives, like coming to church or reading our Bible or uh, witnessing to a friend or helping the needy or something like this, not only the so-called religious or so-called spiritual aspects of our life, but all of our life. And so we we looked at uh, Colossians 3 and saw that that God calls us to this, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the passage was about all of life we can, we can glorify God in all of our lives. And today, I want to talk about the theme of sleep. Sleep. Do you have a theology of sleep? Now, you probably don't think those two words go together, theology and sleep. Maybe I read a book of theology and fell asleep one time, but... <laughs> Do you have a theology of sleep? But what I mean by that is, do you know God's purpose for sleep? Do you have a vision for sleep? Some are saying, oh yeah, I've got a vision for sleep, and we got a word for you too, the the overindulgent. But but do do you understand God's purpose for sleep? Do you know how you can honor God in sleep? Do you know what worshipful sleep? Is Do you know how you can use sleep to please the Lord? How do you honor God in your practice of sleep? If all of life matters, even the ordinary, then sleep would surely matter because we spend eight, on, on average, eight of every 24 hours in sleep. And we think, well, that's not that long. I mean, I just like those who have sleep well. I just went to sleep and woke up. That wasn't very long. Do you know in less than eight hours you can get in a car in the parking lot and drive to Kansas City? You can drive to the Kansas City airport in seven hours and 45 minutes right now. And if you slept seven hours and 45 minutes last night and every night, that, that's drive the time. There's nothing like a car trip to drive me crazy. Seven hours and 45 minutes seems like about three weeks to me, but that Eight hours, it's driving to Kansas City every day. You spend that much of your day, like that road trip, every day asleep, a third of our life. If you are 18 years old here, you've spent six years in sleep, most of them in the last two years. But if you're 18, you've spent, you've spent six years of your life in sleep. If you're 30 years old, you've spent 10 years in sleep. 
If you're 60 years old, you have spent more time sleeping than everyone in the children's ministry and everyone in the square and half of the college students have spent living. If you live to be 90, you will have slept 30 years. How in the world can we give 30 years of our life to something and never give it much thought? I have never heard a sermon on sleep. I've never preached a sermon on sleep. I've preached people to sleep in some of my sermons, but I have never heard a sermon on sleep. And yet, if you live into, you know, well into a ripe old age, you will spend 20, 30 years involved in this activity. And it would be tragic to have never given it any thought, to never think about how could I live righteously and how could I glorify the Lord, to never have thought, why do I sleep? Why did God create sleep? What does sleep tell me about God? And what does sleep tell me about myself? How can we be sleepers that honor God in our sleep. And so if the focus is everything matters, wouldn't it be smart to start with the activity that often we give most of our lives to, a third of our lives to sleep? Well, sleep is addressed and rest more generally is addressed throughout the scripture. But I want to just look at one passage today. We'll, 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 uh, we'll look at a couple of others briefly, but I want to develop one passage today, and it's Psalm 127, which is a fascinating psalm in which sleep is just mentioned, but I believe it's uh, really a core to the whole psalm, the point of what the psalm is about. Psalm 127. Let's listen for God's word to us this morning. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. We're going to focus primarily on the first couple of verses there, but let's pray and ask for God's help as we consider this. Lord, we pray today that you would speak to us. We pray that uh, as you are helping us to order all of life around you at the center, And as you are leading us to uh, follow you as disciples who seek to honor you in all of life, who seek to receive your grace and your many gifts and to steward them in response of a life of worship, we pray that today we would understand rest and sleep. And and I pray in particular for those whom this is a struggle and and an issue uh, for any number of reasons overindulgence or lack of sleep for all kinds of reasons. We just pray that you would speak to us today and that you would, that you would bring relief and help and rest. Lord, bring rest to our souls that we may lean wholly on you. Lord, I pray that you would teach us. And Lord, we look forward to being hearers and later doers of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this psalm is part of the psalm of ascents, the psalms of ascents. It's Psalms 120 
through 134. And as the pilgrims in Jerusalem would travel on pilgrimage three times a year to, uh, uh, for religious festivals, uh, they would sing these psalms as they were approaching. And so this is one of the psalms they would have sang on the way to the festival. And the psalm basically is about our need for God, which is so appropriate when you're traveling, maybe long distances, maybe with young children or the elderly, uh, those who need help along the way perhaps, um, and you are traveling by foot or on some animal. This is not just getting in the car and driving to Kansas City. This is a, a long way, and, and you are aware of your need for God. And so this psalm speaks about our need for God, and it identifies three fairly common life um, occurrences or life issues. It talks about building, building a house, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build. So it talks about building, which could be creating um, which could be, uh, it could, some think this is a metaphor because later he talks about children. So some think this is building a house is building a home. Others think it's just construction, building a house. It, it could be either, but it's the idea of building. The second is the idea of protecting unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So there is creating things. There is stewarding, watching over, guarding, managing, or protecting things, very common aspect of life. And then Verse 3, behold, children are a heritage of the Lord. So there is children raising a family, receiving the gift of children. And the idea of the psalm is this, that the Lord's, without the Lord's help and blessing, our labors are vain. That is, they're useless. They're meaningless. You can do a lot of hard work building, but if the Lord is not blessing what you're doing, you're wasting your time. You can protect the city, but unless the Lord's really protecting you and yours, then you're, you're vulnerable. Unless you have, and and you, can, uh, you can try to get pregnant, but without the Lord giving children as a heritage, a gift from him, you won't have children. And without him working in their lives, you won't build a home. You won't raise them to know him without his work in their lives. And so the whole psalm is about depending on God in our lives. The point is we need him. So as they are singing and as they are traveling, there's this sense, hey, we can have all this activity. We can invest and work and extend ourselves and, and be alert and awake and guarding. We can do all these things. But if God is not with us, if God is not helping us, if God is not blessing us, then it does not matter. We need him. And in a psalm where the point is we need him, with that theme, the psalm mentions sleep. And I think the first point from this passage I want to make about sleep is that sleep reveals our dependence upon God. It is a psalm talking about our dependence upon God in which the psalmist uh, mentions sleep. So verse 1 is about building and guarding. Verse 2 is about sleeping. It is in vain that you rise up early. And go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, the contrast in verses 1 and 2 is not between working and sleeping. The psalm is not saying, don't work, just sleep. It's not saying that because he says, we build, the watchman watches. So it's not the contrast between work and sleep. It's the contrast between two different ways of relating to God. 
This is the point. You can live your life in one of two different ways. The first way is living to work as if everything depends on you. The psalmist calls this anxious toil. Working as if everything depends upon you. Because you think that if you get up earlier, that's what it says, if you think that you work later and you work harder, you think that if you grind out more labor than others that you will be successful. Now, the problem's not working. We're going to see. We're going to have a message on work. Work is a gift from God. But the problem is he is describing the self-reliant person, self-reliant, who puts his trust in what he can do. The problem is the self-sufficient woman who thinks that if I don't work longer and I don't work harder and I don't work later and on and on, this house won't get built. But he says, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. It's not working versus sleeping. It's working as a self-reliant, self-dependent person who, who works as if it's all on me. The other person by implication, is the dependent worker, the one who depends on God. She still builds the house. He still carefully watches over the city to preserve and to protect it. They still care for the children that have been given to them as a gift. But the dependent worker goes to bed. The dependent worker doesn't rise up early and go to, to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil. Life is not an anxious toil that I must do more, that, that I must produce more, that I must organize and manage my time for maximum productivity. Listen, we are enslaved to a hyper-productive uh, cultural mindset. And the Bible's about productivity. Just We'll talk, cover that in a couple of weeks. But we are in an idolatry hyper productive culture and this speaks to that we still work but he says you know what the person who is a dependent worker instead of a self-reliant worker is confident that God is in control that God will build the house and watch the city that he is ultimately responsible he will provide so the dependent worker can sleep well That's the point. The dependent person can sleep well. He can sleep for eight hours because God will protect him. God will sustain him. The difference between the two is whom we depend on. It's about trusting God with our work so that we then can trust him with our rest. It's about working by faith, building the city, guarding the city, building the house, guarding the city, raising the children. It's about working by faith, but it is also about sleeping by faith. Sleeping. Have you ever thought about that? Sleeping by faith. That's the key to sleep for some of us, sleeping by faith. It's trusting God when we work and trusting God when we rest. We are to work by faith but also sleep by faith, confident that God will build our house, confident that God will will watch our city, that is, everything that involves our lives, all that is ours and all that we care about, so that we can rest. So, how do you glorify God in your sleep? Well, as you put your head on the pillow, you say, God, I depend upon you. I trust you to work in my life. 
I trust you to work in the lives of those I love. I trust you to protect me and mine while I am now dead to the world. I will now be going to sleep, God. I will now be doing nothing productive, nothing protective for the next seven, eight hours, whatever it is. I will now be out. And I am consciously, intentionally saying, I depend on you. Good night, Jesus. That's how we glorify God with our sleep. There is a fascinating parable, which is not primarily about sleep, but it's, it, it, it makes a, a side point that I think is fascinating in, in Mark 4. Jesus tells this parable, and it relates to God building the city and God protecting the city and God at work while we're unconscious. Psalm 4, I mean, uh, Mark 4.26 says, Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts the sickle puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now that's about the growth of the kingdom of God from the message of Jesus spreading by his power. But isn't it interesting, it's it's, it's parallel to this. If anybody gets, I gotta go to sleep and God will be at work while I'm asleep, it's the farmer. It's a great analogy. The farmer plants seed, but then the farmer works hard to plant and then prepare and water and ultimately harvest. Farming is hard work, but the farmer can't make the plant grow. He can't make the crop grow. He goes to sleep. And when he wakes up, there's more out. How did that happen? God did it while he rested. The farmer gets this, that God is at work while I sleep. The point of the psalm and the point of sleeping is this. God doesn't need me. That's a message to some of us. God doesn't need you. There is an entire universe that was created without you. There were thousands and thousands of years of civilization without you. God is perfectly capable and he is perfectly independent. He doesn't need you, but you need him. And the reminder that you need God is built into your life on a daily basis. Every 16 hours-ish or so, your body tells you, I'm shutting down. And you can no longer think or work or act. You must rest. Every day, every day, a third of your day is spent in physically accomplishing nothing. And it is a statement to us that you do not run the universe. You do not run your life. You cannot manage and keep everything in control. A third of your life, you're unconscious. It's a strong statement from God. You need me. I don't need you. And not only do we need him, but he is faithful to care for us. That's why he says you don't have to give yourself to anxious toil. Anxiety is it's all on me. Anxiety is the worry that what will happen if I lose control. That's the point. In sleep, you lose control and he is in control. He was in control in the 16 waking hours as well. But it's just a helpful reminder every day. This is theological sleep. This is how we we benefit uh, in our understanding of God from our sleep, to realize, hey, you've been in control all day. I'm just right now going to recognize that and put my head on the pillow and rest well. Did you know 
that in the Jewish culture, a new day began with the setting of the sun, different than us. In Jewish culture, a new day began at night and not morning. So when the sun goes down, that marks the new day. Here's a couple of examples of that. We see that in Genesis 1. What is repeated every day in Genesis 1? This is what it says at creation. There was evening first. There was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning the second day. There was evening and there was the third day. So, for instance, the Sabbath day, which for the Jews would be the, uh, the seventh day or Saturday, it didn't start with sun up on Saturday. The Sabbath started when the sun went down on Friday. It was sundown Friday to sundown Saturday because in the Jewish way of marking time, the new day starts with night, not morning. Now, I knew that intellectually, but I have never made any connection for how there was evening and there was morning one day, for how that impacts my life and how, what that says to me about my dependence upon God until this week. And I read something by author Tish Warren that really affected me. She said this, the day begins with rest. We start by settling down and going to sleep. This understanding of time powerfully is powerfully reorienting, even jarring to those of us who measure our days by our own efforts and accomplishments. The Jewish day begins in seemingly accomplishing nothing at all. We begin by resting, drooling on our pillow, dropping off into helplessness, The Hebrew evening-morning sequence conditions us to the rhythms of grace. We go to sleep, and God begins to work. Are you oriented to the rhythms of grace, which say, and in our culture, understand, we mark the new day by the rising of the sun, but nonetheless, do you mark by the rhythms of grace, which I am helpless, and God is at work, and that marks my existence I I love how she says it, drooling on her pillow, dropping off into helplessness. We begin by resting, physically accomplishing nothing. Now, I know things are going on in the body and in the mind, in the brain, that something is happening, but we're passive in that. It's, It's powerfully reorienting. While we drift off into unconsciousness, while we do nothing, God rules the universe. Sleep teaches us dependence. Listen, we are frail, limited weak creatures that must rest and do nothing for a third of our existence. And God is not like that. The, the people on the way to the festival would have known that because assuming they sang these in order, and I don't know if they did, but if they did, by the time they got to Psalm 127, he gives to his beloved sleep. They would have already sung Psalm 121. And in Psalm 121, six psalms earlier, they sang this, verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God doesn't ever sleep. 
And that is our confidence that as we sleep, he is watching over us. That's Psalm 121. He's going to keep you. He's going to carry you. He's going to watch you. That is the key to worshipful sleep. God has got me. That's redeemed sleep. I am not on my own, making my own way, controlling my own life. I am submitted to the, remember we talked about this last week, the Lord Jesus Christ. I am under his lordship. And that means all of life matters. And that means he cares for all of my life. So I am going to sleep redeemed sleep, godly sleep, theological sleep, intentional sleep, worshipful sleep, saying, Lord, you never sleep. You are gloriously independent, self-sustaining, all-powerful. I am weak, dependent. I need you. But because you never sleep, I will sleep in peace. I'll go to bed glorifying God with sleep. And when we wake, well, then we, we thank him for sustaining us through the night. We can, if everything can be done for the glory of God, we can wake with the glory of God. Psalm 3, 5 in the NIV says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. See, you're here today because the Lord sustained you over five, six, seven, 12 hours. I don't know how much you slept last night, but the Lord sustained you and you are here I remember hearing a preacher say one time, and I've said a lot of bad things that some other preachers probably quoting some, some other pulpit, but I remember hearing a preacher say one time, we must be, you know, we must be diligent and work hard. We're giving our lives to the kingdom. There's people going to hell all around us. We have to be on, you know, living power, just giving it our all, sacrificing for the kingdom. You can sleep when you die. Now, not only is that pathetic eschatology, we don't sleep when we die, we go into the presence of the Lord, but, but the point of it was don't sleep, keep going, and he, just, just do all that you can. Live on as little sleep as possible, and here's why that is problematic for a life lived as a whole life disciple where all of life is leveraged for the glory of God. Sleeping is not a break from what matters, So that we can be rejuvenated to get up and do stuff that matters. Sleep itself matters. And we can sleep for the glory of God when we know that sleep is embracing our limits. You can sleep when you die. Let's keep going is denying my limits, denying the way I was created, denying God's plan for me, denying an awareness of the very reality that he is God and I'm not, that sounds like Christian anxious toil. That sounds like kingdom anxious toil. Make it happen. Do more. When we should be sleeping. God loves us and cares for us. We are limited and we embrace it every night. He is limitless and we worship him for him. So we don't say, hey, keep going until you pass out and you can sleep when you die. We say, no, I'm going to sleep right now for the glory of God because he has created me that Way and he cares for me. And this is worshipfully acknowledging the distinction between the creator and the creature. So get a good night's sleep and enjoy it for the glory of God. Sleep matters because it's lying down in weakness, confident in his strength. It is ceasing our productivity and relying on his. It is lying down in our vulnerability. And we are vulnerable. 
I saw Dateline. People break in and do bad stuff to you at night when you're asleep, okay? It, it is, it is, it, we are vulnerable to what all kinds of stuff could happen to us, right? But he never sleeps. He never slumbers. He has no vulnerability, and he is watching over us. So sleep reminds us of our dependence every day. The other point that the psalm makes is that sleep is a gift from God, and that's the exact language that it uses. He gives to his beloved sleep. The NIV says he grants. That means to give a gift. He grants to his beloved sleep. Now, again, we live in a hyperproductive world so that many people don't see rest as a gift. I've, heard, I've said this. Man, I wish I, there, there's a well-known Christian theologian and leader who reportedly, I don't know if this is true, but reportedly only needs like three or four hours of sleep. And this guy's cranking out major leadership and writing and podcasts and all kinds of stuff. And I remember thinking, wow, I I wish I could do more on less sleep. And maybe he's wired uniquely and he's getting plenty of rest. I'm not commenting on him. He's, He's probably doing exactly what the Lord wants him to do. But I thought, I wish I could live off three hours sleep because I could get so much more done. But rest is a gift. Would I want less of a gift? It's a gift from God. God creates rest before the fall. The fact you have to rest is not uh, something that happened because of sin necessarily. There are certain things about our body that are the result of sin very clearly. But at least the concept of rest is before the fall. God creates the world, and on the seventh day, God rests as a model for us. God didn't deplete energy. God wasn't uh, tired, but he rests. And that is a model because in Exodus 20, when he gives Israel the law, one of the commandments, the fourth commandment is to remember the Sabbath day, the seventh day to keep it holy on that day. You shall do no work as well as those who work for you. Give them the day off as well is what the fourth commandment says. So God works into the rhythm of our lives. One day in seven is a day of rest, and that's not a punishment. That's a gift. We think of the Sabbath in the New Testament as the, uh, you know, the Pharisees say you can't do this, you can't do this. But it was, it was originated as a gift. That's why in the Old Testament, I believe it's in Isaiah, it says that we're to call the Sabbath a delight, Rest is a delight. Why would I want less of a gift from God? Why would I want less of a delight from the Lord? Well, only because of productivity is my idol and my greatest good. That's why. But if I'm living in the rhythm God created me to live in, I will say one in seven of my days is a day of rest, and one-third of every day is to be spent roughly in rest, in sleep. Rest is a gift, and he gives the gift because he loves us. Here's how the message uh, paraphrases. It's not a translation, but a a paraphrase of verse 2. The message says, it's useless to rise up early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? Why are you in this anxious toil 70-hour work weeks, trying to accomplish all this. Don't you know God, I love this paraphrase, don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? What a gracious God who says, take a break and go to sleep. I'm watching the house. I'm watching the city. I'm building the house. I've been doing it all the time, by the way. But now you won't be doing anything 
We won't be working together. I will solely be working while you are asleep. How can we glorify God through sleep? Well, we can recognize sleep is his gift. It is his idea. It is his creation. And we can thank him for it. His gift to us. His creation. You know who knows this verse to be true? Who knows that sleep is a gift? The person with insomnia. They know sleep is a gift. The mother, the nursing mother who has a crying baby that's not sleeping, she knows that sleep is a choice gift. The older person who, as they age, the, something about the sleep clock changes and they wake up at 3, 4 in the morning wide awake and can't go back to sleep. That person knows that sleep is a gift. It's a gift from God. So sleep recognizes our dependence on God. And, and when we wake, by the way, we, it should inform us that we carry that dependence into the day. We work, but we're relying on him, dependent. We guard and protect, but we're relying upon him. We parent and raise a family, but we're relying upon him. It's just some of our reliance is conscious and some of it's in unconsciousness, but it's all reliance on him. Let me say a little bit about sleep problems because it's great to be dependent on God. It's great that sleep is a gift from God. But what if I have trouble sleeping? What if I'm not benefiting from this gift? Well, obviously, there could be physiological issues. I'm not a doctor. Uh, but if you physically have trouble sleeping, you should see a doctor. You should be examined to see if there's something going on with you. Uh, so I'm not going to give medical advice on physiological issues, but I do want to say there are physiological issues, and you should not feel guilty. This, this message should not put any guilt on you at all. I'm not trying to say, man, you don't receive the gift of God if you've got a physical problem. That, that is, you can't help that. You're a victim in that. Uh, you're suffering in that. That's part of the fall. We get sick, we have ailments, we have injuries, we have weaknesses, we have different areas in our lives that, where we are weak and suffer, and sleep is for some people. I mean, obviously, there's the standard counsel, watch the caffeine, kind of get a regular uh, schedule, try to go to sleep about the same time every night, try to wind down early, uh, don't go to bed with your cell phone looking at the screen because the light from the screen tricks the brain into thinking that you're awake and it does something with your sleep rhythms. I read this in more than one place on the Internet, so I trust it's true. <laughs> so, you know, there may be things like that, that. There may be some things you can do. But if you have a physiological issue, that, that needs to be uh, looked at and treated, and you need prayer. So I would, I would see someone who knows the, more about the body than you do, uh, but I would also ask for prayer and humble yourself and say, I've got a sleeping issue. Could you pray for me? A lot of people have sleeping issues, but I'm not sure I've prayed for very many people along those lines. We need to ask for prayer. But there are some sleeping issues that are related to the heart. Let me share a couple of you, because these you can change. By God's grace, you can repent. I can repent. One is laziness. And when I say laziness, uh, I'm thinking of two types of laziness. One is abusing sleep. Rather than enjoying sleep as a gift, it is oversleeping. Um, it is, you know, it's what the Proverbs talks about, the sluggard. One of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 26, 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. 
when we were in college, my roommates and I were Christians, we used to, man, we used to give that one. If a guy was sleeping in, give him that all the time. You know, guy's asleep, it's late, open the door. As a door turns on its hinges, just heaping condemnation on one another as good Christian brothers do. So rather than being a gift, it's an idol because sleep can offer escape from responsibility. Sleep can offer escape from difficulty. And in that case, rather than being a gift from God, sleep becomes a God because it offers me a promise. I don't have to deal with the things I don't want to deal with in my life. So there are those who oversleep. And um, uh, by the way, don't be quick. To, I made a joke earlier. Let's don't be quick to put that on teenagers as, oh, they all do that. Because I read that the average teenager, uh, physically, sleep experts say physically during the teen years of development, you need about 10 hours of sleep a night. Their teens going, hey, preach it, Brother Craig. (laughs) Teenagers, give me a hanky wave on that one right there. That's it. Yeah, 10 hours. Which doesn't mean you should sleep to noon because you went to bed at 2 a.m. It means... (laughs) That if you go to bed at 9 p.m., you could get up at 7 a.m. So you just lost your moment of glory right there. But there you go. But laziness also leads to lack of sleep. And here's why. Because laziness in the Bible, slothfulness is what the Proverbs calls it. Laziness is not just doing nothing. It's doing easy things to avoid responsibility. It's doing, it could be busy and be lazy. It's doing stuff I really shouldn't be doing right now and avoiding what I should. So God has created us to rest. And when we don't responsibly rest, but we stay up binge watching one more Netflix episode or mindlessly scrolling through our social media feed late into the night when we should be resting, we're actually lazy because rather than doing what God has called us to do, what he has now informed us for scripture, why we should do it uh, in dependence, we're doing something else. Another way to talk about this is it's avoiding dependent rest is what it is. Another way to talk about this is to say it is uh, that, that we sacrifice sleep for something else at times because we love other things. It, our, our, our lack of sleep can reveal what we love as well. One author wrote this, a decent indicator of what we love is that for which we are willing to give up sleep. I love my kids, so I sacrifice sleep for them often. I nurse our baby or comfort our eldest. This is written by a woman, obviously. I nurse our baby, I comfort our eldest after a nightmare. I, I love my husband and my close friends, so I stay up late, keeping a good conversation going a bit longer. I rise up early to pray. Or I take a friend to the airport early in the morning. What I love is revealed by my, what I'll sacrifice sleep for. But my willingness to sacrifice sleep also reveals less noble loves. I stay up later than I should, drowsy, collapsed on the couch, vaguely surfing the internet, watching cute puppy videos. Or I stay up trying to squeeze more activity into the day to pack it with as much productivity as possible. My disordered sleep reveals a disordered love. Idols of entertainment and productivity. My willingness to sacrifice much needed rest and my prioritizing amusement or work over the basic needs of my body and the people around me, with whom I'm far more likely to be short-tempered after a night of little sleep. These reveal, reveal that these things, entertainment and work, have taken the place of ascendancy in my life. 
In the nitty-gritty of my daily life, repentance for idolatry may look as pedestrian as shutting off my email an hour earlier or resisting that alluring clickbait to go to bed. The truth is I'm far more likely to give up sleep for entertainment than I am for prayer. When I turn on Hulu late at night, I don't consciously think. I value this episode of Parks and Rec more than my family, more than prayer, more than my own body. But my habits reveal and shape what I love and what I value, whether I care to admit it or not. So what do we love? What are we giving ourselves to? That could be an issue for us that affects our sleep. Worry and anxiety can affect sleep. Sometimes we don't sleep because we're up at night with many anxieties. I've experienced this. Can't shut my mind off. I keep thinking. And many of us haven't really experienced the truth of Psalm 121. Your help comes from the Lord. He will not let you slip. He neither slumbers nor sleeps so that you can. I mean, one of those powerful images in all the Bible is Jesus in a boat asleep while a storm is going on. And the disciples wake him and say, don't you even care if we die? They think they're going to die, but Jesus is sound asleep. Why? Because he knew his father would not let him perish prematurely. And so a storm was a time for a good rest for Jesus. Amidst the storm, he was in the father's care, and so is true for us. A deeper confidence in his care rooted in our heart can help our sleep. And that's hard in the middle of the night when you're going, I should be asleep. I've only got four more hours. I need to get to sleep. I'm going to feel terrible. I've got to get. So it kind of compounds when we're asleep. But God wants us to know he has us. He cares for us. He's got our life in control. And he wants us to know that not by saying just go to sleep. That's the law. But by looking at the gospel. He has graciously provided his son for us. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The gospel frees us to sleep because it says, look at what Christ has done. And if he's done the greatest work for you in the cross and resurrection, if he's erased your sin, given you new life, brought you into the kingdom, now lives over your life as Lord, now all of your life matters. If this is the case, will he not take care of that financial issue or that person you're worried about or that meeting you're stressing that's coming up for tomorrow morning or that diagnosis that you're waiting to receive for yourself or your loved one? Will he not care for those? You see, the gospel is about his work and not ours. And that's why salvation is actually described in the New Testament as entering Sabbath rest. Salvation is described as rest, a ceasing from our work and a trusting in his. So the gospel has much to do with sleep because it in many ways pictures how you were saved. God acted upon you. God worked upon you. God gave you new life. And now, once you're a Christian, you cooperate and you work, but even then, it's ultimately on him to bring you home safely into eternity. The gospel and sleep mirror each other. Sleep is an important part of our lives. And there are various anxieties. There are complex anxieties. There are biological. There are heart issues. It, there's, a compl- there's not one size fits all. Just do this and you'll sleep. But this is vital 
that we begin to see God, we begin to see ourselves, we begin to see his grace. We repent of self-reliance and our workaholism and our idolatry of entertainment or a thousand other things, uh, and we lay down and rest. We ask him to take our burdens and we cast them on him for he never sleeps and we lie down to rest. We plan well rather than lazily doing easy stuff when we should be sleeping. And if we overindulge, we ask God to help us with the courage and the faith to wake up and face by his grace what is in front of us. That is God's grace to us. And it all depends on embracing our limitations, humbling ourselves, and receiving and enjoying this grace for those who struggle. A thousand reasons why we struggle, but there is grace. Let's look to him for that. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.